Friends, thanks for entrusting your time with us this morning. We are so glad that you're with us and can't wait to spend a few moments in God's word. Hey, real quick, as I think about the last few days, I think about the best things and the worst things. Hey, here's my favorite thing, food. I love Thanksgiving. In particular, I love casseroles and those kind of cheesy uh, casseroles that everything sticks to the side and you have to scrape it off and it's just so ooey and gooey and awesome. But the thing about Thanksgiving I don't like is cleaning up all those dishes. In particular, the same casserole that I love, um, I hate to clean the dish. And the reason why is because usually after a full day of Thanksgiving, I know that we should clean the casserole dish, but instead we opt to just let it sit out until the next day. And when we do so the next morning, it is difficult. It requires tons of scrubbing and scraping and a lot of elbow grease, a few audible gasps of frustration, and it requires a lot of time and attention and mostly a lot of regret. Matter of fact, I think it would have been so much easier if the night before I just fixed a big old huge soft, uh, a hot water bath and just a lot of soap and I just let that dish sit in it. The next morning, everything would have been softened up and it would be so much easier to clean. See, the challenge is, is that oftentimes I think when we think about a relationship with God, uh, it's somewhat like that casserole dish. There's a lot of us that in our uh, religious ways, we think that we are to, in some way, scrape off the dirt and we're to try to make our lives look better and it's painful and it's hard and there's lots of regret. But I think the better way in some ways is for us just to figure out what it looks like to soak and saturate and to enjoy God's presence. The challenge is, is when we think about saturating ourselves in Jesus, or maybe we use the words abiding with Jesus, it really does bring a lot of different connotations. It even brings a lot of different definitions. And so I asked the question, what does it mean to abide? As I've asked that question to several friends over the last handful of months, I've gotten a variety of different answers. Uh, For some, abiding means that you would meditate on God. Uh, For others, it's knowing that there's peace and joy in the midst of all the chaos that we live in. Yet others would say, well, it's a a meaningful prayer life, or uh, it's listening to music and sermons on my way to and from work. I think a lot of people struggle to know exactly what abiding looks like. Um, Oftentimes we think as long as we're not doing a lot of um, sinful things and rebellious things that we must be abiding with God. But my question for you this morning, the one I want to spend a few moments just diving into is, can you and I saturate and soak or abide with Christ in a way that's helpful and do it apart from his word? Like, do we need God's word? And let's consider a text that's probably the most famous for abiding in John chapter 15, verses five through seven. Jesus uh, says these words uh, in John, uh, the disciple in whom he loved, recorded them for us. And he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus makes the claim that for us to um, bear fruit, we have to be connected to the vine. He further makes the claim in verse six that when we are not connected to the vine, that we're cut off from him, that we're gonna become dry and barren. And then he actually says this. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers 
and the branches are then gathered and they're thrown in the fire and they're burned. The text is fairly simple. What Jesus is trying to illustrate is that Christians or followers of Jesus will bear fruit. That if you and I are not um, severed from him, you're going to see fruitfulness in our lives. And so we are to abide. The word abide, as we continue to look at this, uh, just literally means in the Greek to uh, remain. It's the word minnow. And it means to just, in a sense, saturate, to stay there, to be content with continuing on in a process of remaining. And as we do that, we know that he abides in us and we in him. But look what he says in verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He moves it to prayer, in essence saying, hey, I will answer and I'll answer according to my word when my word abides in you. See, God delights to answer prayer, but he does it when his word abides in you. The question then is, what is the word? Is that merely just Jesus? Because in John, the apostle in John chapter one mentions that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, We know that the word is namely Jesus and Jesus is the word. So we are to get to know Jesus, which is the vine and we are the branches. So we're to remain in him and him and us so that we might bear much fruit. And as we do that, we know that his words abide in us, which brings up the question, if we're going to stay connected to God, can we do it apart from his word? And I think Paul addresses the church of Colossae in this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And we continually ask God to do what? He says, To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. And the question is, is what does the Spirit delight to do? The Spirit delights to give wisdom through God's word. Verse 10 goes on and says that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And then look what it says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Which then brings me to the question that if we were to abide in God and we're to grow in the knowledge of his word, and we were to delight in the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives, the question is, where does knowledge come from? Does knowledge just happen? I mean, does it just, in a sense, um, just is it something that we just meditate on and it just somehow happens? Does it just happen through prayer? Or does it seem to be something else? And I would say this, we cannot know anything about God unless God has revealed himself to us. Everything that we know about God is because God spoke and he revealed his character and his being and his plan to us. And friends, I would say he did it best when he gave us his word, a tangible form to know and to love and to serve God and to know him more. And to grow in the knowledge of God is to know that he has a purpose and a plan for us. And as I think about that plan and a purpose, I think about how it is that God has always provided for his people. And I think he provides for us now um, the bread of life, which is the word of God. Uh, But I also am reminded of the Old Testament. Now, when I think about bread, I I think about carbs and I love carbs. I absolutely love Thanksgiving, not only because of casseroles, but because of the bread. And and I can't think of much better uh, food than a homemade roll with butter spread over the top that's melting and it's warm and it's gooey and it's fresh. 
And I love it. And it's probably one of the things that uh, I could claim that I need regeneration for is because I'm an addict when it comes to carbs. But here's the thing is uh, when I started thinking about carbs, I also think about when I don't like them. And I never like carbs and they're never ever worth it to me when they're stale or when they're a handful of days old or it's not fresh. It just isn't the same. And it reminds me of a story in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 16, when you see God's provision for the people of Israel. They were living in the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years, God was faithful to provide for them food from heaven. And it was called manna. In essence, it was a daily bread. And the people of Israel were instructed to leave their homes or their tents, and they were to go out and they would gather manna. Now in the instructions, here's what, God told them to do. He said, only gather enough for each day. The question is, is what would happen if they gathered enough for a few days or they decided that, hey, they were gonna try to live off of that day's bread and spread it out over a long course of time. Well, the problem was it would become putrid. It would rot and maggots would eat it up. And so God said, hey, listen, that, that infuriates me. I told you the plan. That is to go and gather manna every day and you're to gather manna just enough for that day. So your family will always have provision and you're never gonna have stale bread. It'll always be fresh. It'll always be fruitful. It'll always be savory. Just gather enough for that day. With the exception of the latter part of the week, um, before the Sabbath day, uh, they were to gather um, two days worth of manna. And the reason why is because on the Sabbath, they were instructed not to work. They were to trust God and rest in his provision And they weren't to gather manna for that day because they would have enough for the day before and it would not waste, but it would be preserved. See, what God has done is he has done something similar for us. He has given us a fresh manna. And that fresh manna is no longer something that falls from heaven daily, uh, but it is something that fell from heaven once and for all. And his name was Jesus. You might even recall um, The words of John chapter six, verse 35, where Jesus says these words about himself. Jesus declared um, these words in John chapter six. Um, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See what he says there? Uh, He goes, I'm the bread. I am the manna from heaven. In uh, the story of Matthew, uh, the gospel account there, Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and you might remind yourself of uh, the temptation. Uh, Satan was saying, hey, what if you took these stones and you turned them into bread after Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? And Jesus replied in verse four with this. He says, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, when we think about that, the question is, is why is it that we're talking about this? And here it is. It's because God desires for us to abide in him. And we do that best when we find him as our manna from heaven. And we don't do that merely through prayer, although that is one way. We don't do it merely through singing songs and worshiping in our cars, although that's an excellent way. But we do all of those things combined after we've concentrated on God's word to help us grow in the knowledge of him. And so when I think about abiding in him, I've discovered that I think there are seven reasons why we should do that in God's word on a daily basis, primarily to grow in knowledge of him. And while this list is not exhaustive, I wanna run through it real quickly 
And we'll also provide it in the Stone Point News tomorrow during the sermon notes portion. But here's seven benefits for abiding in God's word. One is it reveals that you are a disciple of Jesus. John chapter 8, 31 and 32, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 clearly tell us that those who are his disciples will abide with him. That's, that's what we do as believers in Christ, and we cannot do that apart from knowing his word. Abiding in God's word also convicts us of sin. It's help us, it helps us distinguish right and wrong. It is God's word that convicts us and, and really even divides us to the joint and the marrow, the deep parts of our soul. Abiding in God's word trains us in godliness. It is how we become more righteous. We cannot become righteous unless God reveals righteousness to us. And if we're reading God's word, we can be conformed to his character, which is godliness. The fourth thing is it helps keep us from sin. Um, Not only do we know right and wrong, what righteousness is, but it helps us keep ourselves blameless and pure. In a day and age where sin is prevalent, God's word helps us to live in him, which also helps us make our path straight. When we think about a straight path, it means our life doesn't have to be crooked. It means that we don't have to drive our life off into the ditch continually over and over again because God, through his word, can make our path straight. I'm reminded of passages like Psalm 119, 105, that the word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It's guiding our path. Um, I'm reminded of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that we are um, to trust the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. Friends, that's what he wants to do is make us a straight path. He does that uh, because he loves us. Abiding in God's word also helps us bear much fruit. We saw that about Jesus. Friends, there is nothing worse than a Christian who claims to know God, but yet is withering away in rebellion and in self-righteousness. Friends, we need Christ. That's outlined in Galatians chapter five as we think about the fruit of the spirit and Colossians chapter one as well. And then we also know that abiding in God's word prepares us for the second coming of Jesus. We have a promise that God is coming again and he's going to send his son. We can't wait for his approaching and his appearing, but God's word prepares us for that day. Friends, as a believer in Christ, I think that we should be compelled to be in God's word every day. If Jesus is our manna from heaven, we need him every day. The question you have to ask yourself next is, how well is God's word working for us if it's continually regurgitated by other people? Could you imagine being in in Exodus chapter 16, you're instructed by uh, your leaders in Israel to go gather manna and they saved enough for that day. They chewed it up. They spit it back out for you to eat. How would that be? Wouldn't that be disgusting? I mean, even think about your Thanksgiving meal. If we were passing food around that was regurgitated, like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be delightful, would it? But friends, I think that's how we approach God's word. I think we oftentimes allow other people to regurgitate their food for us. And I don't think that's the way God intended it to be. See, God intends you to be a fruitful, growing Christian that's walking in righteousness towards a holy God. And we do that best when we know God's word and we abide in his word daily. So I think abiding in, in, in God is to remain in him, but namely it's to abide in his word through prayer with guidance of the Holy Spirit and is always checking ourselves against God's word and also reiterating that in our lives with God's people. 
And so, friends, that's what it looks like to abide. And as I think about abiding, I think about how many Christians right now struggle with that and how many of us are living miserable lives because we never, ever find our source of sustenance and strength in God's word. And I'm reminded of this quote by D.A. Carson, which simply says this, no one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy his pleasures and does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but his memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied, and he cannot forever remain ambivalent. See, friends, if we remain in Christ, we are not mesmerized by the world, but we have a longing for him. And that longing for him grows in us maturity. And it reminds me of this great passage in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 that just simply says, so then just as I received Christ as Lord, we should continue to live in him, being rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as we've been taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Friends, we do that when we know, when we love, and when we abide in Christ. May the God of our Um, Bible help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you help us to remain in you? God, would you help us to soak and saturate and marinate in you? And may we know that we do that, not namely just through prayer or through um, hearing other preachers preach or um, through songs, Uh, but Lord, we do that when we gather daily manna. And we do that most when we open up your word and we delight to know your truth. God, would you help us to feed on your word and on your truth. Would you grow us in knowledge? Would you help us to be sanctified in your image? Would you help us to have the discipline and the perseverance that it takes to grow up and um, move forward in our faith? Lord, there are many of us, even as we think in this moment right now, that are still craving spiritual milk. But God, would you give us the wisdom and the strength and the discernment to move past spiritual milk to a more mature and solid food? Lord, we need your help. Uh, And Lord, I pray that we would desire to abide in you and know you and seek after you. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for the last handful of days. Thank you that in the midst of some crazy and um, difficult times, that Lord, that we can be thankful. And Lord, most of all, I'm thankful that you, uh, the God of heaven and earth, revealed yourself to me and you did it through the form of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.